Hey, my name's David. I'm one of the pastors here, but we've already covered that, so we won't worry about it anymore. Let me start off with uh, two questions. Uh, and the first question I think will, if my theory holds, will uh, inform the second. Uh, how many of you were born and raised in the South? How many of you were born and raised in the South? Awesome. Fantastic. Second question. How many of you have turned your heat on already this year? Okay, awesome. So like most of the same people, right? Yeah, yeah. Northerners and Midwesterners are laughing at you. You realize that, right? Like they're laughing. They're like, ha, heat. Heat, heat when I, was, I grew up in Cincinnati, heat when I grew up was like, hey, go put a sweatshirt on. Yeah, and, and so we haven't turned the heat on. We're, trying to, we're waging the war against the power bill and winning currently. Uh, it's been hard at this point, but I believe that heat is a privilege and not a right, and I want to raise my son that way. Um, excited about this morning, excited about our time together in Philippians as we continue on into Philippians chapter 3 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter Three. Uh, if you're new with us or you haven't been here before, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. The scriptures are going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, also, inside your worship guide, there is an insert on the back side of that order of worship uh, is all the scripture, the main scripture that I'm going to be. Uh, we want the scripture to be in front of you this morning. If you do not own a Bible, do not have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. That is our gift to you. If you'd stop by the connection table right here in the back on your way out, we have a free Bible for you. We are midway through this series called A Worthy Life, our study in the book of Philippians. And if you've been here the last several weeks, you know kind of where we've been. But if you haven't, let me give you a quick review of what chapters 1 and 2 of Philippians have looked like. The first thing that we saw was that this, this uh, book of Philippians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a real group of people in the city of Philippi. And we read that Paul was friends with these people. He had planted a church in Philippi. And we heard in Acts chapter 16 about Lydia and about the slave girl and the jailer who were all converted to Christ early on in the city of Philippi and then made up the core group of this church that flourished in this city. And Paul is writing back to this group of people to encourage them. And then the second week we, we read where Paul says, um, you can have confidence in this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying what God has begun here in Philippi, one day he's going to complete. He, there's going to be finality to it. And we read that in our lives, what God begins, he's going to finish. Paul is writing Philippians from a Roman prison cell, not under good circumstances at all. But he says, no, no, don't worry about this. He says, um, he, he tells them what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel so that all throughout the imperial guard, Jesus is known. And he says, it's no account. My life is of no account for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And he encourages them. And he says, therefore, let your life be worthy of the gospel to which you have been called. And he says, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, striving together in one mind that Christ might be known. And he says, the mind that I want you to have amongst yourselves is yours in Christ Jesus. That Jesus, even though he was God, set aside that for a time to serve you and I. He is our example. And it says that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And because that day is coming, because that is a promise, that day is coming, and it is nearer today than it was yesterday, and it is nearer this hour than it was last hour. He says then, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And he gives us just this kind of list. Of, hey, l listen, th these are the ways that you work out your salvation. This is the way that it works from salvation, not towards it. 
And we pick up this morning in Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So you see what Paul says here in Philippians 3, beginning. He says, finally, my brothers. Paul is beginning to wind up his letter here in Philippians. So what he's about to do is he's about to give his concluding remarks in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And he says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. The theme of joy is all throughout Philippians. Philippians is actually known as the book of joy. Paul is serious about the idea of joy and about encouraging the church at Philippi to pursue that. And in chapters 1 and 2, he has kind of given us the idea of joy as an end. He says, I want you to pursue this. I want you to go after this. And all of us, whether we know it or not, are pursuing joy in one way or another. We're all pursuing it. Paul says, I want you to go after that. And then verse three and four, in chapters three and four, what he does is he says, here are the means by which you attain it. Joy as the end goal, here are the means by which you attain that. And what we're gonna see this morning in our time together is that Paul understands that to be found in and known by Christ is the only way to have lasting, fulfilling, true joy. To be found in and known by Christ is the only way to have lasting, fulfilling, true joy. Because we're all looking for it. Every one of us is looking for something that's going to satisfy. We're looking for something that's going to satisfy this craving in our soul for joy, for peace, for purpose. Paul lays this out at the beginning and now he's going to tell us that the only way to have lasting, fulfilling, true joy is to be found in and known by Jesus Christ. Now, he moves from that, that idea of joy, into a warning to the people at Philippi. So the first thing I want us to look at is this warning, and then we're going to move into what Paul has to say. Uh, he, says, he gives them a warning in verses 2 through 7. He tells them first to watch out for the dogs. Now, this is not Paul uh, kind of making sure that they watch out for canines, like, he's not like, hey, there are packs of dogs wandering the city, be careful. Like, that's not at all what he's trying to do here. He, he's, what he's doing here is he's saying, watch out for the dogs, and he's using a derogatory term. In Philippi at this time, a dog would not have necessarily been a man's best friend, okay? Like, he's talking about 
packs of, or scav- dogs were packs, they were wild, they were scavengers. They're not talking about your Labrador retriever. Paul says, watch out for the dogs. And what he's referring to, he's referring to the false teachers. There were people in Philippi that were teaching the believers that salvation came to and from the Jews. And they were teaching the Gentile people in Philippi, most of the people in Philippi that were coming to Christ were not Jewish, but there were teachers in Philippi that were telling them, in order for you to really be a believer, in order for you to really be a Christian, you have to be a Jew. So they would tell them it's not only believing in Jesus, but it's also you being circumcised like a Jew and then you adhering to the Old Testament Jewish law. And what they were trying to do is they were adding works into salvation. And Paul says, watch out for those guys. He says, don't listen to them. They're they're dogs. They're evildoers. They're scavengers. They're preying on what Christ has put in you and they're trying to add to salvation. He says, don't listen to them because salvation doesn't come by works. He says they're, they're gonna say that, yeah, they're saved because of the things that they do, because they've listened to the law, because they're circumcised, because of they're the right race, they're the right people, they're from the right family. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. None of that matters in salvation. He said if it did, if anybody has any reason at all to brag, it's me. Paul says if anybody has any reason to put all of their faith in the things that they've done for God, it's me. Paul says that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. Says that he, he was born in the right family. He was born in the right ethnicity. He is a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says he is a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the strictest adherers to the Old Testament law. There were people who followed the law and then there were the Pharisees. There were Pharisees who made up laws that they could st- stick to so that they could say that they were better than the other people who were trying to follow the law. Paul says, I'm that guy. He says, I'm a zealot. I was zealous for the law. Anybody who wasn't following the law, I wanted to put him in prison. I was trying to stamp him out. I was zealous for God, for the law. And then he says, I was blameless. I followed all the rules. What Paul's basically saying, he's like, you think your Sunday school attendance is good? I never missed a Sunday. You think you listened to all the sermons? I listened to all of them, and I wrote down the best notes in the room. Paul's saying, if you think you have a reason to brag, I have more. And then he says this fascinating thing. Absolutely fascinating. Verse 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, whatever gain, whatever I think that I've earned on my own, I count that as loss. I don't even count that anymore. That's nothing to me that I might know Christ. Paul says, my works have nothing to do with my salvation. Nothing to do with me being pleasing before the Father, with my sins being forgiven. I can't outwork my sinfulness. So if none of Paul's works are of any matter in his salvation, then what does matter? If your works, if you can't earn God's love and pardon for your sin, how do you do it? He gives us two clues as we read on. Here's what he says in verse eight. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ, and here's the key word, and being found in him. Being found in 
him. So the first thing that we see, Paul understands that salvation comes from being found in Christ. He says he's forfeited all of these things, all the things that he's done so that he might be found in Christ. Now, what does it mean to be found in Christ? If Paul says my salvation is dependent on my being found in Christ, then we need to define what it means to be found in Christ. Well, in order to be found, there has to be some recognition that you are what? Something is lost, right? If you're going to find something, there has to be a recognition that it was lost. So Paul has a recognition that he was lost. Um, there was a comedian uh, a couple years ago who told this joke, and I thought it was really funny. And uh, his name is Mitch Hedberg, and he says, if I was ever lost in a forest, uh, I would just build a house. Uh, then I could say, I was lost, but now I live here. Like, I, I thought that was really clever and funny. This idea of, you know, I was lost, but I built a house, now I live here. And Paul's kind of talking about this idea. And as funny as that is, as, as that kind of quote kind of makes us laugh, ultimately in our lives, I think there are a lot of us who recognize we are lost, and instead of seeking to be found, we just build our houses in our lostness. And we just say, I'm lost, but I might as well live here. I'm lost, I, I don't know what it means to be found, but I'm just going to build my house and I'm just going to live here. In the end, that leads to our destruction. Paul says, no, I'm not going out like that. Paul says, I want to be found. I want to build a house in my lostness. I want to be found and taken home. So Paul says, I want to be found in Christ. And he tells us three ways that he wants to be found in him. The first way, he says, I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own. Paul understands that his works will not save him. That no matter how many good things he does, none of that is going to earn him God's love or earn God's pardon for his sin. He says, there's no way that I can do enough good things to do away with the sin that's in my heart and in my life. He says, my works won't save me. In Galatians 2, he talks about it this way. He says in Galatians 2, 15 and 16, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Here's the key phrase. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. So if we're trying to earn God's salvation, if we're trying to earn salvation for our souls through our good works, it's never going to happen. Because you can't earn it by the works of the law. Why is that? Because everything that we do is stained with sin. Everything that we do is stained with sin. We are born into that. Even our good things are stained with our sinfulness. Um, let me give you this quick example. If I were to make you a sandwich, okay? If I were to make you a, just an incredible sandwich, some of you guys are hungry right now, and I am too, that's why I'm talking about food. If I were to make you a sandwich, okay? Like a great sandwich, I don't know what kind of sandwich you like. All right, and I were getting ready to present this sandwich to you, but before I presented that to you, um, I went out back here uh, in the, at the cafeteria, right behind the middle school and elementary school cafeteria, they share a dumpster, and I were to clean that dumpster with my bare hands and just, I mean, just have trash, filth all over me, and then I were to come in and make that sandwich for you and hand you that sandwich, would you really want that sandwich? Does that look appealing to you? Why? Because I've transferred the dirt and the trash and the garbage of my hands onto that sandwich, so even what's good is now stained by my garbage. That's the way our good works work when we're not in Christ. Even the best thing that I can give you is stained by my sin. 
So Paul says, even my good works, even if I'm offering God the best sandwich possible, without Christ, without somebody doing something about my sin, I'm just handing him dumpster sandwiches. So what does he say? He says, not having a righteousness of my own that won't work, that'll never get me anywhere. He says, I want to have a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. So if it's not by our works, how can we be saved? It's through faith. In Romans 3, Paul puts it this way. Romans chapter 3, Paul says this, starting in verse 21. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says it's not by our works. He says it's by faith. You know what faith is? Faith is simply believing that God is who he says he is and will do what he promised to do. Faith is Believing God is who he says he is and will do what he promised to do. He says God doesn't give us salvation because we earned it. He says he gives it to us by grace. You know what grace means? Grace means undeserved favor. If you earn it and it's given to you, that's not grace. That's earning. But if something is given to you that you didn't deserve, that's grace. Paul says salvation comes by grace through grace faith in believing that when we did not deserve salvation, God offered it to us through Jesus Christ. In Romans eleven six, Paul says, if salvation is by works, then it's not on grace. And if it's by grace, it's not by works. That's the way that works out. If it's by works, then it's not by grace. If it's by grace, it's not by works. Some of you guys are going to travel over the holidays, okay? If wherever you travel, you go by plane, you didn't go by car, right? If you go by car, you didn't go by plane. Doesn't work out the same way. Paul says if it's by works and, and I earned it, then it's not by grace. But if it's by grace, I can't earn it. And we access that by faith. Paul says, the third thing, he says, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So we're getting to the bottom here. Salvation, being found, not building homes in our lostness, but being found by God Having salvation offered to us through Jesus Christ is by grace, undeserved, unearned favor of God. We access it through faith, believing he is who he says he is and will do what he's promised to do, not a result of works, not a result of what I've done to earn it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one might both. So what does it mean to be found in Christ? To be found in Christ is to trust that we are saved by grace through faith, not a result of our works. So when Paul says, I want to be found in him, that's what he's saying. My salvation, I didn't earn it. It came by God's undeserved favor, and I believe that he's offered it to me in Christ. I can't work for it. Being found in him. What's the second thing that he says? After Paul talks about being found, in verse 10 he says, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
So if salvation comes through being found in Christ, it also comes through knowing Christ. What does it mean to know Christ? What does it mean to know Jesus? We talk about that a lot. Do you know Jesus? What does that mean to know him? In our culture, we have a misconception of, I think, what it means to know anybody. Um, and this has been kind of perpetuated by uh, the celebrity culture and by social media, where we, we, we know a lot about people, but we don't actually know people. You know what I'm saying? Like, like knowing somebody isn't just knowing historical facts or, or, or some trivia or some tidbits of information about people. To know someone, actually fully to know someone, is also to be known by them. So I say to you that I know Abraham Lincoln. I don't know Abraham Lincoln. He was dead long before I showed up. I know some facts about Abraham Lincoln. So what does it mean to know Christ? It also means that it's to know him, but it's also to be known by him. This implies a level of honesty, of transparency, of vulnerability. To really know somebody. So if you think about that, defining the idea of knowing someone by being honest and transparent and vulnerable with that person, how many people do you really know? How many people do you really know? Five? Three? One? Better yet, how many people really know you? How many people really know you? Honestly. You're transparent, vulnerable with. How many people really know you? We're afraid of this, right? If you think about it, this is uncomfortable for us. We're afraid to really be known by people. Why? Because we know ourselves. And we think if that person really knew who I was, I was really honest with that person, transparent, vulnerable, if they really knew thoughts and motivations of my heart, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't accept me. In actuality, they would probably reject me and not want anything to do with me. So out of that fear, we spend an incredible amount of time, energy, and effort constructing these alternate personalities, these more cleaned up versions of ourselves to present to people so that we might be accepted, so that we might be loved. But in the back of our minds, we're always thinking, if they really knew, if they really knew, Think about it in this context. Um, think about it how, um, maybe some of you that are married, how it was when you were dating your spouse and how it is now that you're married to your spouse. Like there's a difference, right? Like there's a real difference. I didn't have this beard when Alice and I were dating. Now that we're married, I'm like, this is a covenant relationship. You're in this for the long haul. I'm growing this thing. Like, like there's, when you're dating your spouse, you're trying to put on the best of yourself that you can be. You know, you're, you're, you're doing all the things. You're, you're doing everything right. You're trying to pretend that you don't smell bad. You're trying to pretend that you don't have bad habits. You're putting on the best face that you have. When you get married, you can only keep up that charade for so long before you're just like, all right, screw it. This is who I am. You know, like, you can only, like, put that on for so long. And, and the problem is, a lot of us enter into our relationship with Christ like it's a dating relationship and not a marriage relationship. 
And we enter into that and we try to put on this idea that we're going to be some better version of ourselves. And instead of showing Christ who we really are, we do our best to keep him at arm's length. Even in the back of our minds, we know he knows me fully. He's known me before I even knew myself. But we think all the time that there's some way that we can just present this better version, cleaner version of ourselves to him. Paul says, no, 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 that's, that's not how I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to be known by him. He says, I want to know him, and I want to be known by him. Paul says, I want to present myself to him truly as I am. And when we humbly expose our sinfulness and tr- stop trying to present this cleaner better future version of you that you think is more acceptable to God the Father. When we drop the charade and we say, this is who I am, we are then and only then most able to tap into the grace, mercy, and forgiveness he's given us through Jesus on the cross. And that's beautiful. That's joyful. And that's knowing Christ and being known by him. To know him this way is to understand that I am more sinful than I could ever imagine and yet through Christ more loved than I ever thought possible. And the grace of God to you, Christian, believer, is that God knew every sin you would ever commit, are committing, and will commit, and through Christ he called you anyway. I want to know him. I want to be known by him. To know Christ is to trust that in him I am fully loved and fully accepted by the Father. As I am now. Not when I do some things better, get better at praying or get better at reading my Bible. In Christ as a believer. Not by my works. When, in, when I accept that gift of grace through faith. And I call out and I trust him. I'm fully loved and fully accepted by the Father. And that allows me to work from salvation, not towards it. So Paul says, I want to know him. The power of his resurrection. Paul's no longer trusting in his righteousness, in his works, to be found in and known by Christ. He's no longer looking at this and putting it on a scale and going, okay, I've done some good things today, but I've also done some bad things, so let me do some more good things here. No, 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 no. He's trusting in. He's fully loved and fully accepted by the Father in Christ. Um, let me give you a, a personal example. I'll be real transparent with you guys. So um, here's something I struggle with. Friday was my birthday, and Friday night I wanted to go to Mellow Mushroom with my wife because I really like Mellow Mushroom Pizza. And we got over there at 5.30 and the line was out the door. And as I drove by, I looked at Mellow Mushroom and I thought, I hate all of you people. That's just the wickedness in my heart. I'm going to be real with you. And you've been there too. All right? Maybe not a Mellow Mushroom. If you were in Mellow Mushroom on Friday night, I apologize. I've repented of that. That's not anything personal. But I just remember just driving by, just being like, it is my birthday. And I want pizza. And these people are out the door. I hate all of them. And I wish inconvenience on all of their lives, you know? 
Like, that's just the wickedness in my heart. And as I'm, like, driving away later, like, the Lord is, like, kind of convicting me. And he's just kind of going, what? what? What in the world? You hate people because you couldn't eat pizza when you wanted to? You know, like, how shallow and silly is that? And, and if I'm not careful, in that moment, I might be very tempted to just go, yeah, God, you're right, but, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm a pastor and I'm a missional community leader, and I'm in two huddles, and I'm a better husband than that guy, and I'm gonna be a better father than that guy, and and I wanna stack my accomplishments to try to justify the fact that my heart is wicked. But knowing Christ didn't work like that. In that moment when I'm convicted about that, it's not a time for me to build some tower of Babel of my own righteousness. It's a time for me to go, you know what, God, you're right. My heart is wicked. And I look at the crowds, I don't look at them like Jesus did when he said, I, he said that Jesus looked at the crowd and had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I don't look at the crowds that way, God. Forgive me for not looking at the crowds the way that you see them, recognizing them as individuals who are in need of the gospel as much as I am. Expose that in me and help me to walk from this being more Christ-like in the way that I live and the way that I operate and the way that I think. That's knowing Christ and being known by him. That's knowing him, being known by him. And Paul says when we know him that way, we know the power of his resurrection. You know what the resurrection tells us? Had Jesus stayed dead, okay, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if Jesus, if the hope is for this life only, we are all men most pitied. But you know what the resurrection tells us? The resurrection tells us that the promises of God are true. They tell us that the promises of God are true. And that, that what he's said he's going to do, he's going to do. And when I expose myself that way to the Father, I say, this is who I am. And I don't want to be this way, but help me to humbly walk in faith. I embrace the grace of God, and that's the power of his resurrection right there. That I can embrace the grace of God and the faith necessary to walk forward in that, from that moment, from my wickedness into righteousness. Because I know that I'm fully loved and fully accepted by the Father in Christ Jesus. And when you're fully loved, and fully accepted by someone, there's nothing you won't do, right? There's nothing you won't do for somebody who knows you fully and loves you and accepts you fully anyway. So that's why Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings, even if it means death. Because I am fully known, fully loved, and fully accepted by the Father. He says, I want to know him. promise of God is that if we live for him one day, we will live with him. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we've seen a mirror darkly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall, now full, shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This is where Paul's joy comes from. Remember at the very beginning when he said rejoice in the Lord? This is where he derives his joy from because he is found and known by Christ with a promise that one day he'll see him face to face. 
to be found in and known by Christ is the only way to have lasting, fulfilling, true joy. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't, I don't know how you came in here um, this morning. But I know that how you can walk out. I know that some of you may have come in here this morning and you just feel like you've just built a house in your lostness because you don't know what else to do. You, you don't know where else to go, what else to turn to. Nothing seems to really ever fully satisfy. Everything just seems to be temporary and you just maybe decided that's the way it is. And the gospel this morning, the good news for you this morning is not the way it has to be. You can be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of your own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. You can trust that by his grace, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but you're gonna believe that he's offered you salvation through Jesus. You can be found in him. You can be known by him. Maybe some of you guys, we just need to be known by him this morning. Maybe you've kind of been playing this game where you've been in your Bible and you've been reading and learning a whole bunch of facts about Jesus. When it comes to knowing you, you've just kind of kept him at arm's length. You've just kind of pushed him away. And said, if he really knew me, if he really knew what I was about, he wouldn't love me, he wouldn't accept me, The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ knew everything you would ever do, every thought you would ever have, every motive of your heart. He went to the cross and he lived the life that you couldn't live and died the death that you should have died so that you could be reconciled to God, be found in him, be known by him. So maybe some of you this morning need to drop the charade. Maybe it's time to stop playing games and saying, God, here I am. And understand that God loves you today, right where you are, just as you are. He just loves you too much to let you stay that way. That you might know him, the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings, even unto death, that by any means possible we may attain the resurrection from the dead. So this morning, I'm gonna give you a chance to respond in just a minute. Maybe you just need to stay in your seat. Maybe you just need to pray. Maybe, maybe as crazy as this sounds, maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you need to step forward to the stage and just say, God, I humble myself before you. I'm not worried about what anybody thinks. I'm worried about what you think. I want you to know who I am. I want to know that I'm fully loved and fully accepted by you in Christ. I'll be in the back. Pastor Charlie will be in the back. We'd love to talk to you more. We're gonna give you a chance to respond. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna respond and sing to the one who has done more than we could ever ask or imagine. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. Father, you saw us in our sin, on our rebellion, in our lostness. 
God scarcely would a good man die for another good man. It never happens that a good man would die for sinners. But Jesus, you've shown your love for us. And while we were still sinners, you died for us. And you made the way for us to be reconciled to the Father. So God, I pray for those in here today who've decided to just build a house in their lostness. Father, that today you would find them. You would call them out of lostness. You call them out of darkness and into glorious light. I pray for those who've been playing a game, thinking that if you really knew, God, you already know. Pray that they would know you, be known by you. God, and that we would pursue you harder and harder each day for the joy that is set before us, that is ours in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.